Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Happy Mom, Happy Baby, Parenting SOS. When I was pregnant with Buzz, a few friends got in touch about something that they'd done in pregnancy and birth that they thought that I should give a go or see if I fancied. Uh, So I looked into it and it totally changed my view on pregnancy and labour and really helped me connect with my baby while they were in my tummy. Obviously, I'm talking about hypnobirthing, something I'd never heard of before being pregnant, but that's really become popular over the last few years. And as we found out on this podcast, even the Princess of Wales used it. Uh, No, (laughs) it's not the same as the hypno you see on TV, uh, but it can really help you get have a better birth experience. Um, today, I'm so excited uh, by our guest. Um, when I was pregnant with Buzz, actually, I uh, used, used a lady called Holly DeCruz, who was fantastic. Uh, and then uh, when I was pregnant with uh, Max, I used her as well with Buddy. And then with Max, uh, I used a lady called Siobhan Miller. Um, but they were both trained by today's guest. Uh, I am joined by Catherine Graves. Catherine is a leading hypnobirth teacher, founder of the KG Hypnobirthing, the original UK hypnobirthing, and the Hypnobirthing Association. She has personally taught hypnobirthing to over 3,000 couples and has trained over 2,000 teachers, a large number of them midwives. Catherine, welcome. I listened to your voice the whole way through all three of my pregnancies. People say, when you've done that, my voice just sends you to sleep. I mean, hopefully we'll get through this podcast and be staying awake. Recognises it too. If I meet a baby and the mum has been listening to my voice in pregnancy and I start speaking, they sort of look around at me and think, well, you were doing things like I can remember the first time I got it. It was it was kind of like a a file on its own. Now you can get it on iTunes and everywhere, which is which is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think these days it's impossible to be pregnant without hearing a word hypnotherapy. Yeah. Um, we did a survey. I think it was 91 percent of pregnant women had heard of hypnobirthing. Mm. Only 37% had done it. Oh, that's interesting. Which is a pretty large percentage. I mean, that yeah. was, it wasn't ironclad research. It was simply a survey, but a reasonable size survey. Yeah. But the interesting thing is most of the parents we teach are first-time couples. Mm-hmm. People sometimes do a refresher afterwards. And, you know, they think, honey, funny word and all that sort of thing. Do I really need it? I've got so much to do. But actually, it's the thing they need most of all. And people who came to us after a traumatic first birth because they had thought they didn't need it. Um, yeah. 100% said that it made a massive difference. And those are people who have something to compare it with. Which is, mm-hmm. um, it, it's really interesting seeing why people turn to hypnobirthing mm-hmm. as well. You know, I, I mentioned Holly at the start and she um, she's spoken widely about the fact that she was so scared of giving birth mm. that someone mentioned hypnobirthing to her. Anything's worth a try sort of thing. 
Yeah. And people come hugely sceptical um, because of the name. And I think that's a really good thing. I think people mm. should be sceptical. They should be asking questions. We should be able to justify everything we say with logic or evidence. But for one thing I ask, I welcome scepticism. But for one thing really? I ask is that people take the same degree of scepticism, the same degree of questioning to all their care in pregnancy outside the hypnobirthing course. Ask questions. Check that what is yeah. being suggested is evidence-based. Frequently mm -hmm. it isn't. <laughs> yeah. How, what led you to hypnobirthing? Well, I could say coincidences, but I don't actually believe in coincidence. Um, <laughs> I... Basically, I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm not a midwife. And you have mm -hmm. to do a bit of extra training every year to maintain your registration. And I did the usual things that you would expect a hypnotherapist to do, like weight loss and stress relief and all this sort of thing. And then I thought, what do I do next? And a friend of mine has said she'd done this hypnobirthing course. So I went along because I had to do something. It's quite, yeah. quite fun, but no particular interest. Absolutely blown away by it. It was so amazing. And I offered it as part of my practice. And over the last 15 to 20 years, it's just taken over the whole of my life. And I regard myself an extremely fortunate person to be working in this way. Because the we make I mean, you literally are the mothership of hypnobirthing in the UK, yeah. though. You know, you are, <laughs> so you are the, the mother of everyone <laughs> in so many it's ways. To know the difference you have made to people's lives is just yeah. amazing. And I think... I honestly think this is the biggest revolution of all time uh, mm. because I'm a, I may not look like it, but I'm a revolutionary uh, <laughs> <laughs> because how we're born is the most important event in our lives. And OK, people come for a more comfortable, sometimes pain free birth. And that's fantastic. But um, a woman's experience of birth is wonderful. But think of a baby. In the longer term, that's even more significant. I don't know how you feel about your children, but many people will say they're very easy children. They get on with everybody. They take everything in their stride. I mean, maybe, you know, they have their ups and downs like children do. <laughs> um, but that's significant, and it would appear to stay with them as they go through life. And that revolution of people being born with a gentle birth and not yeah. a trauma to start in this world, I think the significance is massive. It'll be very difficult to research it. But um, mm. personally, I'm sure it's there, but that's only my opinion. It's not, not evidence-based. Oh, one thing, we, we, I think before finding hypnobirthing, I was very aware of all the other stories that we hear around birth. You know, we hear about the pain, the, all of that stuff. Um, and I think when you're therefore going into birth and thinking about what's to come, you, you have that layer already placed on you just because of what you've absorbed over the decades. I met a little girl, two-year-old, and she said, Mum is going to have a baby and it's going to hurt. What's she going to be like by the time she's 30 and has her own children? Mm. And I can honestly say the first time, so um, so I uh, the first time I used hypnobirthing in uh, when I was in labour with Buzz, um, I uh, at the end of it, I I can remember saying that was the most amazing experience I've ever had. 
And it could be for every woman, even if they need a bit of extra help, that experience, your personal experience can still be amazing. Mm -hmm. And yet the norm is that birth is traumatic. Well, my purpose is that the norm is people like you. And if somebody has a traumatic, painful birth, people think, oh, what went wrong? And it's quite difficult to say you've had a wonderful birth. Um, in fact, Harry Kane did. Mm, yes. He went on Twitter and said, I'm so proud of her because she didn't have drugs. And it was a lovely, loving little tweet. And then all hell broke loose. And Twitter was, how dare you insult everybody who's had drugs? That's a terrible thing to say. She was just lucky. Um, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because there's so much emotion, yes. you know, surrounding birth. And and I think so many people go into birth thinking it's going to be one thing, like having a birth plan. And then when you deviate from that, when things happen that take you away from that, and, you know, it's about... And actually, I think hypnobirthing, for me, is is um, it's about accepting everything that happens yes. within that space as well that I, for me that's part of it and um and i think that when i think because people have a plan and when they go when they step away from it a lot of people carry guilt then that it, they didn't have the, the birth that they it's not necessary i mean we work very hard mm. whilst we're planning to have a gentle birth but things happen but things yeah. happen a lot less than you might suppose because we don't just do what one might expect for breathing, the relaxations, all that stuff. And we do it, and we do it very, very well. But we also teach people to navigate the system. And we frequently hear at the moment that the maternity services are in crisis, and they are, um, because they're doing all sorts of interventions, which possibly one might argue are not necessary. For example, uh, the induction rate, if you include sweeps, which are an induction, could be pushing about 80% because so many women, and that is going to interfere with labour. And then you need, and then you need, and then you need. Um, and you need to understand how the system works, the implications of your choices, because people are not informed. They say, oh, it's great, they're going to induce me today, I'm going to have my baby. Um, and it's not like that at all. People are screaming mm. for a sweep by the time they get to 37 weeks. They don't understand because nobody's told them that it has implications. And that's yeah. enormously sad. So to understand the system that you're working in is hugely important. And the worst thing about the system is that you have a due date. <laughs> is there a Whereas you, you like to say it's like a five-week period where your baby could arrive. Well, that's what the World Health Organization says. Right. Um, but basically... Um, we, the due date that people are given, 40 weeks, is not even the average length of pregnancy. You mm. think it's about 41.5 weeks and babies come. And um, due dates do a lot of harm because they cause a lot of stress. Well, if you're stressed, you produce adrenaline. Mm -hmm. If you produce adrenaline, it inhibits, inhibits the uh, production of the hormone oxytocin, which is a hormone we produce for an efficient labor. So more stress people heap onto pregnant women, and they do from 40 weeks onwards, uh, 
the less they produce oxytocin, the less likely they are to go into labor. And then they say, oh, we need to induce you because you haven't gone into labor. Mm. And it was all because of the stress that people put on themselves because the baby's late. Mm -hmm. Society puts on you because everybody rings you up and says, calls you and messages you and says, haven't you arrived yet? <laughs> oh, aren't you, aren't you worried? Well, I wasn't until 20 people called and suggested that I ought to be. Yeah. And the medical profession too suddenly starts talking about all the things we ought to be doing and threatens you with a stillbirth and um, placentas failing and big babies, all of which I could talk about for next hour, but I won't because that's not the purpose. You have to come to see a bit more. <laughs> now, on Parenting SOS, I ask you the three questions that you are most asked uh, and you've sent them in uh, so I'm going to I'm going to ask you them <laughs> uh, the first one probably pretty important actually to this episode what is hypnobirthing yes everybody asks it um hardest to answer because there is no definition of hypnobirthing uh one mum might say I've done hypnobirthing and all she's done is bought a hypnobirthing audio to listen to while she's giving birth well it might have a bit of an effect but that is not, that's a tiny, tiny little bit of hypnobirthing. Mm. Um, she might have read the hypnobirthing book. There we are, hypnobirthing book behind me. Um, <laughs> and it's really good and it can make a very, very big difference. But it's, and it does. Um, and it has an audio that you can download in it. So it's, it's excellent, but it's not the same as doing the course. Mm. Um, the course we teach is 12 hours. And it does all the breathing and relaxation and visualization. Uh, but it just does so much more. It's, back, uh, it's sort of lays the foundation of how the body works, how the hormones work. It sounds very boring when I say that, but it's absolutely fascinating, this mm. of birth. Um, and then it's practicing daily. I often say that the work is not done at the course and it's not even yeah. done at the birth. It's done in the 10 minutes a day of the practice. Mm -hmm. It changes your mindset and then it's just deep down inside there for you when you give birth. Um, I always found those 10 minutes as well. They were always really nice to, it was, a, it was a time for everything else in life to pause and to really focus on, on my baby, me and my baby, yes. um, which, you know, you can so easily not do, but actually that's, and, and the music that I used to listen to every night. So when then I was in, in labor and, you know, and, and the, like birthing my baby and I could, I could hear that music. As soon as the music starts, just that feeling of my Absolutely. body relaxing. You know. And also, if a couple practice together, it brings them closer together. Yeah. And I'm sure that the father feels and is a useful part of how his child enters the world. Mm. And that deepens the bond of the father with the baby too. Yeah. It's just so very, very lovely. But... If hypnobirthing was just breathing and visualizations and relaxations, they've been around for 50, 70 years. So nothing would have need, more would have needed to evolve. Right. It has. And what is different is, you mentioned fear, the work to release fear, massively important, uh, which I think any hypnobirthing method does. Mm. Um, that's what all those things do. Uh, also, 
that simple daily practice, only 10 minutes, clearly defined, one A4 sheet. <laughs> um, that is massively important. The role of the father or birth partner, clearly defined and um, also hugely important. And the biggest, I think for one, which KG hypnobirthing is not exactly unique, but I think we were the first to do it and um, possibly put more emphasis on it is how you navigate the system hmm. because it is a system and women get the impression oh you're not allowed to do this you have to do that and you need to know that there is always a choice there is always um, alternatives your second question is what do you do so I'm, i imagine that's in hypnobirthing what do you do well i think we've more or less said yeah. it in the first question haven't we? <laughs> yeah. and how does well, it work yeah those those um, are your three cases uh, the three, three questions what is hypnobirthing what do you do and how does it work well the thing is that the perfect system is already created in every woman's body mm. a woman's body is a shining diamond of perfection for giving birth but we get in the way uh as individuals because the whole of our society does and the, mater the maternity services do. Um, a woman naturally produces oxytocin, which is the hormone. There are oxytocin receptors in the uterus, um, and that's the hormone that makes labor efficient. Um, and when we're stressed and worried, we don't produce it. So then labor becomes much longer and much more traumatic. Um, and when we're producing oxytocin, which we produce in the brain and it's pumped into the body through the pituitary gland, we also produce the hormone endorphins, which is nature's pain relief. It's said to be more powerful than morphine. It's in the name, isn't it? Mm. Endogenous morphine. Mm -hmm. And we naturally produce it in labor, um, as long as we haven't been induced. Uh, and so this perfection is in every woman's body. She's producing the hormone which makes labor efficient and also the hormone which makes labor comfortable, which many people might find extraordinarily hard to believe when I say that, as long as her mind is in the right place. And we produce that when the mind is calm. And when the mind's calm, if we know our choices, then it puts us in control. Yeah. If we're in control, we feel confident. If we're confident, the mind is calm. And then you can have a comfortable birth because it's all working as it's designed to do. When you talked about adrenaline earlier, and if there's too much adrenaline, it's, are we pushed in sort of a, a fight or flight mode, which means that... Absolutely. And it's not, you know, terror. It's just tiny little things that can just make you slightly stressed. You know, if you meet a stranger, you're sort of on your best behaviour. Yeah. Whereas if you meet a friend, you just run up and have a hug. <laughs> Um, and it's that that stress. I mean, it's not terrible stress. Nobody's going to be awful, but your hormones are going to be different. Mm. Uh, so most women go to a strange place, a hospital, and meet a stranger. I mean, there's good research which shows that if you have a known midwife, uh, labor is easier, you're less likely to miscarry, less likely to have a prem baby. There's lots of good research on that. Mm. Um, and it's very difficult for the NHS for a midwife to follow a woman through. Almost the only way you can do it on the NHS is if you have your baby at home. You're like, quite likely to know your midwife. But if you go to hospital, you're going to meet a stranger. And meeting a stranger is 
it just interrupts the hormonal flow. And that can take maybe an hour, maybe a little bit more to get back feeling okay within yourself. That's mm. two hours longer on labor. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, it's all fast, and there are so many different parts of it. I know that words are a massive thing as well. For me, personally, the words was never, I never felt the words. Um, stifled me in any way you know I know that instead of contractions there's surges and mm. um you know uh, lots of different ways to uh to to express what's going on rather than using words that are associated with pain yeah. with you know a conflict between in within your body and things like that um yeah but the, which in itself is really fascinating to see how language can oh, can yeah, have an effect. I mean, people sometimes say you're not allowed to speak talk about pain in hypnobirthing well since mothers come to the course more or less more or less specifically to talk about pain <laughs> <laughs> we need to discuss pain and what causes it yeah. how you can um, put yourself in a position but it's very much less likely to happen but it's not a helpful word in labor. Yeah. Because that's pain is not a nice thought, and that's a stress. Mm-hmm. And that can put half an hour onto labor. The words are terribly important. And I think we've been talking about words for so long that I find if you go to a midwife conference, there's almost always now somebody talking about words. And I think, yeah, you weren't talking about that so much 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's little things like that. We are changing the system, and you can sometimes think, and my teachers do, and mums when they're talking to their friends think, well, what can I do? I'm only one person. But you have no idea how far the efforts of one person are going to go. Yeah. You just do your best, don't you? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. For me, there was a definite thing. So for the first two, I would say I was in a very relaxed state. Uh, And then my third... um, my surges started when my my second son uh, fell off the coffee table and it uh, fell off, off off the sofa into the coffee table. So he had split his head open, and then my surges started. <laughs> um, but my <laughs> things weren't. I, I I felt pain 
during mm. the first bit because I was almost I and I I suddenly realized I was almost trying to block it to kind of my 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 mind wasn't with my body and it's only when I suddenly realized I'm not even breathing properly I was breathing halfway <laughs> into my chest I wasn't even breathing uh, and so for me I I have that direct thing of not like breathing in a way that wasn't helpful to my body and then allowing the breath in properly and then suddenly realizing ah now I'm now I'm one you know and I I can do this it's a beautiful way of putting it you know because people sometimes say hypnobirthing is a method of pain relief and it isn't mm. because pain relief drugs or whatever you have you've got pain you need to do something about it so you take something to stop it you see with hypnobirthing if mind and body are working together in the way they're designed the pain might not be there in the first place mm. so you're not relieving it uh, then people will say well it's mind over matter no it's not it's <laughs> That's exactly what you said, mind with matter. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Working in the way they're designed to do. And it is so beautiful. It is just so beautiful. Mm. Um, and sadly, at the moment, the, mo the majority of women don't experience that. Yeah. Which is unnecessary and incredibly sad. Mm. Um, Catherine, we've asked some of the Have Mum Have Baby community to send in some questions. Mm. Um uh, so I'm going to read uh, read them to you, ask, ask you them. Um, one person has asked, are there any ways of using hypnobirthing when you know that you're going to have a C-section? So I guess, yes, it, yes yeah, Carrie, <laughs> you go. Thing you use. Um, for example, you do the practice in exactly the same way. You release the fear. Um, you can and understand what's happening because there is... It's not specifically hypnobirthing, but you can have a gentle cesarean mm. where things you make slightly different arrangements in no way compromising safety, uh, but making it a different experience for a mother. For example, uh, listening to one of your relaxations before you go into theatre, uh, have it playing in theatre, either through headphones, so you block out the theatre sounds, or through speakers so that everybody can hear it. Mm. Um, and some of the practical things we talk about, for example, people are very good these days if have a cesarean, the baby is put immediately on the mother's abdomen to get skin to skin. Uh, but some cesarean babies are picked up, wiped and given to the mother. That's not the same. That's the longest five seconds of a baby's life. Mm -hmm. It's like being dumped on the moon with nobody telling you, where's my mum? Um, also, the guidelines say that there should be delayed cord clamping, even when you have a cesarean. Uh, usually that's about one to three minutes. I think in the case of a cesarean, that could get down to half a minute. Right. And you can understand the surgeon wanting to start to suture the incision quickly for the risk of infection. Uh, but you can still take the placenta out and not cut the cord and have optimal cord clamping and wait for all the blood to be back in the baby. Um, and if you go along the lines of what we've talked with gentle cesarean, using the breathing, you, the breathing that you mentioned, you do it whatever your birth. Mm. Um, your partner will be there sort of trained to support you in the way that a hypnobirthing partner does. And people who have had what you might call a normal cesarean, which is a surgical operation. Okay, baby's fine. 
um, and given to mother, and then had a, maybe they need for a clinical reason to have a cesarean. And then they have one having done a KG hypnobirthing course. They say the difference is they feel not that this baby has been given to me, but I've been part of the process of giving birth to this baby. Mm. Even the, the, the actual operation is exactly the same. Well, and, and that's also part of it, isn't it? It's your... Um... When you're going, when you, I, I imagine that when you're going in for, to have your um, cesarean, there's so much emotionally, mentally going on there, physically. So to yeah. be able to have something that keeps you calm, makes you feel like you're also in control of that situation in some way, um, that's got to be beneficial. And it's also going to affect you in pregnancy. It's going, you're going to have more positive hormones, which affect the baby even before it's born. And I'm sure, and I, this is just, just me, but all those skills after the birth, I mean, you're recovering from major surgery. Mm. You need the breathing. You need to be able to relax. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's all sorts of birth that it makes a difference. Also, you're only half as likely to have a cesarean. Really? We did a survey. And the cesarean rate in the survey for... Um, non-KGH mums, non-KG hypnobirthing mums was 37% and the hypnobirthing mums was 16%. Right. Now, think of the benefit for mother, the benefit for baby, but actually think of the cost saving to the NHS. That is one intervention, which if you extrapolate it throughout the country, it would save the NHS. I off the top of my head, I can't quite remember. We worked out how many million it would mm. save the NHS. And we need to do surveys on other interventions. But, um, you know, the maternity services are short of budget. We haven't got enough money to pay the midwives more. Mm. The cesarean's in half. There may be an awful lot more money for the midwives. <laughs> very true. Um, it's, it's significant in many areas. That's very practical. Um, one person has um, has asked, can hypnobirthing help you prepare yourself for birth after a traumatic one? You did touch on this earlier. So if somebody's had a traumatic birth, it's very difficult to believe that anything, and just a few words, mm. can make that much difference to that significant an experience. Uh, you can't prove that it's going to, apart from our survey. And then it does. And it, it's those mums really, really, really understand the difference that hypnobirthing makes because they've seen the difference. Yeah. Whereas a mum who does it the first time, some of them do have utterly comfortable births. Some have some discomfort. But it's like, oh, it did hurt. <laughs> but they didn't need any drugs. They didn't have any interventions. And you sort of think, you don't know what it would have been like without it. <laughs> if you've given birth without it and then use it, then um, you really, really understand the difference it makes. Mm. Yeah. It's, I sometimes describe pain. I think birth is always powerful, but it doesn't have to be painful. Uh, the muscles of the uterus are some of the strongest muscles in the human body, male or female, working to absolute capacity. So to expect it, oh, I've done my relaxations, I'm just going to lie there and relax and the baby will be born. No, it won't. <laughs> um, it is very, very powerful experience. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be painful. And if you looked at pain 
as a lie. And, and this end, you have people like you see on the movies, which is where most people get their <laughs> misinformation about murder mm -hmm. from. People screaming and writhing around with agony. At this end, you have people who, with KGH, do give birth entirely comfortably sometimes. And everybody is naturally somewhere along this line. And when they do the course, it will always, and that's quite an outspoken thing to say, always move a good bit along this line. Some of them it will move right to this end. Uh, but the most important to get things to, towards that end or to that end is the practice. Mm -hmm. And the three other very simple questions which people don't ask themselves very much is who? Who's going to be with me? Um, which is hugely important. Uh, most people want their partner to be there. It's known it's better to have a known midwife. Um, but the politics of midwifery and independent midwifery at the moment is very difficult and we won't launch into it now. Um, do you have some obstetricians are very in favour of interventions? Mm -hmm. Some are more supportive of normality. So who is very important? When is very, very important. And by that, I mean, are we going to leave it to the baby to decide? Or are we going to decide we know better? Right. Um, that's a variety of interventions and um, induction is enormous. I mean, we talk about COVID as a pandemic, which um, one might ask questions about, but induction of labour is definitely the biggest and worst pandemic worldwide at the moment. So when is a huge question mm. and where? Because the norm is to go to hospital to have your baby. Well, it's safer in hospital because then if anything happened, I've got the operating theatre just down the, down the corridor. But actually, all the research shows that it's safer to have your baby at home, even the first one. People say, well, I have the first one in hospital. Uh, because, of course, more, they're more likely to get an intervention in hospital. And then they'll say, oh, well, you ought to be in hospital for the second one because. Um, but actually, it is safer. And people find this so hard. Well, I know that the research shows that, but I think I'd feel more comfortable to go into hospital. But it's it's who, when and where yeah. are massively important subjects. Um, and one needs to be well informed on them. Hmm. I'm not asking anybody to believe me. You, they shouldn't believe me. In fact, I'm specifically asking them not to believe me. <laughs> but I am asking people to look at the logic and the evidence which we will present in a KG hypnobirthing course. It's a very personal thing, though, isn't it? Like you were saying, someone might feel safer if they go... They do, because you know... they've been programmed to feel safer all their lives. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, is, yeah it's, it is fascinating. Um, one person has asked, uh, is a pool always needed? Uh, what if one isn't available on the ward? So obviously this person is thinking about going to hospital uh, to give birth, uh, but they are worried about a pool being available if they were to you go. You worry about, if there, there are far more pools than there used to be. Yeah. So most places, and if you if your hospital near you doesn't say you're likely to get a pool, if you can change hospitals, because it's important. Um. But more people don't get the pool, not because somebody else is in it, because it doesn't get filled in time. Right. Hypnobirthing births are so often so much quicker 
the midwife is fooled into thinking she's not in, in labour because she's not screeching and panting and puffing. <laughs> I went and had breakfast when I was seven centimetres. I, I was like, I feel fine. Let's go and have some porridge. <laughs> but the mid midwife's fooled. It takes a long time to fill a pool, sort of 20 minutes. Mm. It might not be full in time. So that's the most important one. But sometimes there isn't a pool available for some reason. I think the best solution if there isn't, and some women just don't want to, and that's yeah, fine. Yeah. You can get into a good position kneeling on your bed or something. As long as you're not lying flat, it's fine. Uh, but another alternative, if a pool isn't full in time and you really want it to, to be in a pool, is to kneel in the shower and have about warm water cascading on your back like a wonderful mm. massage or even sit on a stool in the shower. Yeah. Um, it's a good alternative. Catherine, tell um, me about the back thing, because I found this fascinating. Why do women birth on their backs? Well, the story is, yeah. <laughs> the, the XIV, whether this is true or not, nobody knows. But the king wanted to be present when his mistress was giving birth. And kings, particularly Louis XIV, do not grovel on the floor. Um, and she was then neatly tucked up in bed and... The royal doctors were there, and goodness only knows what doctors did to her in those days. Uh, but then discovered it was much easier for the doctor to have a woman lying in bed, excuse me, than having to grovel on the floor. Mm. And if it was done in the royal household, it must be best. Like most things, you know, we yes. we pick up. Well, I've heard it so much in food, but hearing that it was a thing that happened in labour blew my mind. So there, there's so many people now giving birth on their backs simply because an old king wanted to see his every midwife knows it's not best. Mm. Um, but you have to remember that when you take into account all the women who are having a cesarean, all the women who are being induced, all the women who are having forceps and ventus, that's a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily have to be on your back for all those, but um, the number of women who actually give birth in the way they're designed to do is actually relatively small yeah. because of the interventions. But if you're on your back, it's the least comfortable, uh, uh, the most uncomfortable and the least efficient way of giving birth because your vagina is pointing upwards, you're, point you're pushing against gravity. Yeah. And the because the pelvis can't move because it's sort of pinned down onto a bed, uh, the capacity of the pelvis if you're in an upright forward position can be up to 30% greater because the cartilage softens and the coccyx moves than if you're lying flat on your back. Now, yeah. that's the difference between a seven pound and a 10 pound baby. Mm. <laughs> um, someone has asked, what are the common misconceptions about hypnobirthing? But it's just a load of breathing and visualizations and it's a bit like stage hypnosis and, um, Oh, I can't imagine. Oh, nobody can hypnotise me. Um, I think that's probably the most common ones. I can remember um, um, uh, walking through. Well, I can remember walking through a park with my. Uh, actually, I was I was out on my own. I and I passed uh, uh, three people. They were talking about another friend, and I think that they had started baby weaning. Um, the other another friend that they were talking about and the 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 dad within within them had said oh yeah you know she's gone all hippy dippy she did hypnobirthing now she's baby led weaning and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> I, I wanted to stop and go no don't see it as hippy dippy this is something that 
is literally it could it's so powerful he could have done it with her yeah because we had one mum she called me up before the course she said he won't come Mm. I said well that's fine we have single mums you know sometimes you can't anyway she rolled up with her husband I think it was looking like thunder (laughs) and um during the day he, he he softened and he stayed for a little chat at the end and afterwards she called me and she said I don't know what the magic was, but before he came, it was all just like you said, hippy dippy, load of middle mm. class nonsense. I don't. And afterwards, he was saying, you know, there's a lot of logic in it. And she said, well, he only came because uh, I tried pleading, I tried logic, um, I tried tears, and then I shouted at him. The <laughs> <laughs> bus stop, and he wanted to go home, so I shouted at him again. So it's no wonder he didn't look terribly happy when he showed up. <laughs> um, and she said, for this, well, his comment, she said, I couldn't believe the change in him during the day mm. and the comments he made afterwards. And then she said, which I thought was just incredibly beautiful, just showing how it brings a couple closer together. Yeah. That night we made love the first time for four months. Oh. It, you know, it brings tears to your eyes. It's yeah. very profound, very effective and highly practical and logical every single thing we say there is a because um which is why i want our mums to be expect anybody thing anybody does to them outside the class or wants to do to them there should be a because yeah otherwise why should we be saying it we shouldn't be saying it if we can't justify it with reason yeah well like <laughs> i say i mean i i i everything that i did with hypnobirthing i did with people that were trained by you Um, And uh, there was definitely a feeling of really for the first time honing in on what my body was doing, you know, Mm. and looking at the misconceptions that we're told about birth and stripping that away, looking at our bodies in such a simplistic way like realizing what your muscles are doing in a way that I'd never realized before and um, and there was definitely a feeling of magic for for me you know there was this feeling of between me and my husband of we're, we're in this together actually my i know you know in most t- miraculous journey ever mm. and we are so privileged to hold people's hands on that journey yeah i often say that as a hypnobirthing teacher i'm a signpost i try to be a most comprehensive signpost but they make the journey sometimes yeah. it breaks my heart to see the choices they make that it's their journey. I'm always there to come back to, to talk to. Mm. I will give every bit of information I possibly can. Yeah. Make it a wonderful journey. And it's a massive privilege to support people on that journey. A massive privilege. Yeah. Um, We end each podcast episode with you completing three sentences. The first one (laughs) is being a parent means... I sometimes say all parents feel guilty. (laughs) (laughs) They did and shouldn't have done. No, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. Mm -hmm. So important not to try to be a perfect parent. Absolutely, but it's so difficult, isn't it? It's so difficult. As much love as you possibly can, as many opportunities as you possibly can can and then you just run along behind trying to keep up because they'll go their, their way yeah i'm not sure that quite finished the sentence but that's but i love the sentiment it's fine um <laughs> the next sentence is uh, if i could tell you one thing it would be every plan you make 
um, we have a wonderful, I have a wonderful concept of the ever flexible plan. It started when we were skiing one year as a family. Mm. And you all agree different st standards of skiing and you'll meet up for lunch at a particular amount, uh, on a mountain at a restaurant at a time. And when you get there, there's nobody there. Yeah. Because one has made a mistake of a mountain, one has made a mistake of a restaurant, one person shot past, you know. <laughs> and then the curious thing is that you all meet up at a different restaurant on a different mountain at a different time, <laughs> apparently entirely by coincidence. And the concept that grew from this phenomenon is the ever flexible plan. Um, the purpose of a baby is to sabotage any plans its parents make. <laughs> <laughs> at it uh, so you uh it's so important to hang on to the concept of every flexible plan of course you make your plan but you know perfectly well that you might move from plan a to plan b something else you know even just you want to go to the shops mm. and you've got three children like you have um fortunately we can all get stuff delivered these days but um by the time you've got three coats on Somebody's hit their brother. Yeah. Somebody else has wet their pants. Uh, somebody else has fallen over. Uh, somebody else has got undressed. It's like being in my house. It's a snapshot, Catherine. <laughs> I never. Put, I've got in the habit of never putting on a winter coat because if I had four children all dressed and ready to go, just get out. <laughs> you have to hang on to the concept of the ever flexible plan. I love that. I love that. So I'm going to take that concept. Absolutely. Thank you. No, it makes life so much easier. Yes. Because you don't stress when the plan doesn't work out. Yes. Absolutely. People don't, don't have children, don't understand about the ever flexible plan. It's just <laughs> make life so much more fun. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I'm happy when. Oh, I think I'm happy most of the time. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that answer. <laughs> They're all things that make us happy. I mean, I love my family dearly. Mm. Um, I'm happy. I'm happy with your with your answer. To be honest, with your initial response was perfect. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been an absolute delight. And, you know, hypnobirthing is, it holds a special place in my heart because it gave me my three, three sons in such a beautiful way. So uh, thank you for all the work that you do. That's, uh, that's, that's what's so good about doing it when somebody like you says something like that. Oh, thank you. Somebody very rushes much. up to you on the underground and says, Oh, Catherine, I did your course or I read your book or something. And yeah. thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very, very much. It's Not been at all. such a pleasure.